back to normal. Hey, let me, let me highlight, I haven't done this in like forever, uh, three announcements that are in the worship guide. That's that little green thing that you should have picked up when you came in where you put your personal information, your prayer request. Uh, one of those things I want you to know about is we have a tailgating event after the second service on September the 11th. So again, you look at the instructions there, follow those instructions, be a part of that because again, it's a way for us to start getting connected again. Uh, again, COVID has just run rampant and just separated us uh, and we want to get back together and start doing more things where we are coming together in community that's one of those things another way you can do that is by volunteering the day before on september the 10th with sherry's run we have a history uh bringing volunteers to sherry's run helping them clean up get done it's about an hour's worth of investment but it makes a world of difference. So again, if you want to do that, there's a sign-up sheet out at the information kiosk. Also, Abide Ladies Retreat is uh, the first weekend in November, the 4th and 5th. Ladies, we've been out of that for a couple of years because, again, of COVID. So again, I would strongly encourage you, get your name in. There is a limited number of spots. Uh, there are brochures on the information kiosk. So again, take time to read that, get involved get to know other people, get in community with other people, uh, and be a part of that. So again, uh, we're, we're, we're excited about what we believe God is going to be doing in our church uh, as summer kind of comes to a close here in a, about four or five weeks. So again, uh, get involved and get to know people. So I can catch my breath, let's pray, okay? <laughs> so anyway, all that singing just wore me out. It's so good though, right? Am I right? Uh, God, let's just, uh, we just come to you this morning thankful uh, for a beautiful day, for uh, this place of worship, uh, for these amazing, talented uh, musicians and vocalists that you just continue to provide to us week in and week out. They use their gifts and talents to lift up the name of Jesus because that's what we come here for. So again, God, we just thank you for that. God, we just ask that you speak to us in a way that only you can this morning as we ask this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, there's no doubt, as I've already kind of alluded to COVID several different times in today's service, that the last two years have been tough. And no doubt, if you look at the last, you know, couple of months or the last four or five months, it's really gotten tough on a lot of people financially. Because I looked at a statistic this week that said, here's what it said, one in six families can't pay their utility bills because they've gone up so much. Let me, let me help you understand that. Our bill right here, in the, we're here We're here usually four or five times a month. We don't office here. So the, the air conditioning, the heating is turned basically off during the week. We run minimal lights during the week. We had the most expensive bill that we have ever had in the history of the church last month. We were here four times during the month. It may have been five, but, but again, four or five. But here, here's what's going to make sense. Listen to this. Our electric bill here was $2,500. So I understand when families say that they can't pay their utility bills. And here's the thing. Even as bad as things have been over the last couple of years, th there's just this little bit of hope in all of us that looks at the next year or that looks at the next five years, and we just want to believe that next year or the next five years are going to be better. We believe those can be the, the best years of our lives. I mean, who doesn't want the next year to be the best? Who doesn't want the next five years to be the best five years of their life? The answer is that we all do. 
But see, even, even though we have this optimism about the future, there's always this one little thing that seems to stand in the way. And the thing that stands in the way of most of us is our past. That seemingly unforgettable past. I was thinking this past week uh, about resolutions. Do, do you realize how many resolutions that you make as you go through life? I'm, and again, I, it goes without saying that, you know, when January rolls around or the end of December, we all make New Year's resolutions. But when you really think about it, all throughout the year, if you're like me, you're making resolutions. But we make all of these resolutions about what we're going to do with our life, what we're going to do with our career, what we're going to do with our relationships. And have you ever thought about the resolutions and then looked at your life and then realized that even though you made all those resolutions, nothing in your life really changed? I mean, take a minute and think about it. Have you ever wondered why you keep making the same mistakes over and over again? Have you ever wondered why it's so hard for you to keep and maintain healthy relationships with other people? Because, see, there's a truth there. There's a truth why you have those problems and trouble doing those things. The truth is, if you haven't dealt with the hurt that's a part of your past, then the hurt that was a part of your past, it's going to continue to impact and affect everything that you touch. And, and again, I, I'm just going to be honest with you this morning and tell you, you, you've heard me use this line before. And again, uh, after the last several messages, even though you've heard this from me before, I'm just going to go tell you, you're going to hear it again, you know, in, in, in months and years to come. But after the last several messages, this line that I've used before just seemed to be so appropriate. And, and I'm going to put it on the screen so that, you, so that you truly understand that, because some people will not have heard this or not have seen this. And, and here's, the, here's the line. If we don't learn to transform the pain that's associated with our past, then that's going to be pain that we're just going to transfer. If you don't learn to deal with the pain that's a part of your life, the pain that's a part of your past, then you just need to understand, you're going to end up taking that pain with you. You know, there's a story that I shared before, and I, I want to share it again. It kind of takes on a different meaning today because I can be a little more graphic, uh, being that my mother's not here. Uh, and, and again, you know, I always had to kind of abbreviate things when she was here. For those that don't know, she passed away in July. She was, she was, she was good. I mean, she didn't want to die, but she was ready to die. But, in, but anyway, I can tell this story. And it's a little bit different. But when I was growing up, my mother collected glass, cut glass stuff that was, you know, worth some money. We would go to the fairgrounds or wherever and, and find these antique collectible people, and, and she, would, she would do without lunch so that she could buy a piece of cut glass. She displayed this stuff 
on her Ethan Allen furniture uh, in the living room. Can I get an amen for the Ethan Allen? So anyway, I mean, I mean, but anyway, so she had it displayed prominently right in front of the uh, uh, of the dining table. In, in, kind of in the living room. It was the living room, dining room. See, do we still have living rooms anymore? I mean, we don't at our house, but I mean, but again, so it was displayed there. But here, here's a long story short. My mother and dad decided, which they didn't do this very much, they decided they were going to go out to eat one night and left me and my brother at home. Yeah. So, so we, there's three years between us. I'm three years older than he is. And, and we decided that we were going to have you know, some fun, and I, if I told you the kind of fun that we were having, uh, I would probably <laughs> lose my job, uh, but anyway, it, it was, it's not that bad, but what we were actually doing, I was chasing him through the house, a- a- and I was chasing him through the house, and we went through the den, into the kitchen, around the corner, and we went into the living room, and right as you went out the door into the living room, that's where we had that piece of Ethan Allen furniture. And the Ethan Allen, Allen furniture was like, you know, a flat piece here, and it had this thing that sat on the back, which you could display stuff with the shelves. I don't know kind of what you call that. But anyway, it had all of her cut glass. Well, when he rounded the corner, his hip caught that particular piece of furniture. And I watched in slow motion as all of that cut glass landed in a heap on the floor. And I did not know what to do. (laughs) So we got the broom and we got the dustpan and we got the vacuum cleaner and we cleaned it up. Thousands of dollars of cut glass laying on the carpet. We tried to make it where nobody could notice what was happening when they came in. Oh, I can remember that. Oh, my gosh. We tried to cover up our mistake. Isn't it interesting how as kids that's what we learned to do? We learn that the best way to make, when we make a mistake, is, to, is just to, to go and do whatever it takes to cover up our tracks and to cover up a mistake. Now think about that. That's what we learn as kids. We make a mistake and we do whatever we have to do to cover up the mistake that we made. And here's what's really interesting. Isn't it interesting that when we grow up as adults, we stop doing that? Ah, oh, no. We don't outgrow that behavior. Even as adults, we continue to cover up our mistakes. Because, see, when it comes to our faults, when it comes to our failures, when it comes to our screw-ups in life, the reality is that we're just like children. We're really quick to cover those things up. We're quick to deny, to avoid, to blame other people, someone else. You, just like me, work really hard to shake off those feelings of guilt and shame by minimizing and covering up the mistakes and misfortunes that are part of your life, just like they're a part of my life. And honestly, when you think about it, you start to realize that that pattern of covering things up 
it goes back to the very beginning of history. Listen, listen to what happened when the first human beings rebelled against God, as this is the way the Bible actually records it in Genesis chapter 3. It says, at that moment their eyes were opened and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. Shame. The shame that was now a part of the life because they had disobeyed God. The shame that was a part now of the life of Adam and Eve. It prompts them to fashion masks in order to hide the thing that was now true about them. And here's the thing I want you to think about. Because, see, it was on that day. That's when humanity learned to look back over our shoulder. How to say one thing and mean another thing. How to hide fear and deceit behind a fake smile. We, we feel this sense of exposure and shame when we have been found out that we're really not who we're supposed to be. And when that happens, here's the thing, it, it's created habits for us. See, it causes you like it causes me to keep secrets. You put on a facade and pretend like you're somebody that you're really not. We've learned how to respond to the question. Somebody says, how are you? What do you say? I'm fine. But at the same time that you use the word fine, it's deep down inside of you as you say the word fine that you know what's going on inside of you and you know you're not fine. You know it's not true. We're not fine at all. We say fine. But deep down inside, you're hurting, you're lonely, you're confused, and you're frightened. So then in your attempt to hide the hurt, you jump from book to book. Some of you jump from church to church, seminar to seminar, looking for the greatest, latest technique that you believe is going to help you change. Now, for those of you who may not know, like I said a while ago, we don't office here. Our offices are somewhere else. But at our offices, we have a spiral staircase that goes to the second floor. And we have carpet on the second floor, but at the bottom of the spiral staircase is a tile floor. And, and what's interesting is this. Uh, when the door opens because of the street that's really close to the front door, it's not uncommon for us to get dust and leaves and trash to blow in the door. And knowing that stuff's constantly blowing in the door, here's what it means. It means that on that tile floor, if you actually want to keep that floor clean, you constantly have to be sweeping that floor. You get a broom, you get a dustpan, and you sweep things up. 
And that's the place where I get frustrated. Because no matter how hard I try, I can't get everything into that dustpan. Does somebody know what I'm talking about in this place this morning? I mean, you just can't get it all. Now, let me just tell you all this. You can blame Jude Norris for this because Jude Norris brought this illustration. I've used this illustration before. She brought it up about a week ago, and I thought, oh, that's going to be perfect with where I'm going to go in the next week or so. But again, we know we, we, we have this, you know, this dust that we just can't get into the dustpan. You sweep and you sweep and you sweep and you sweep some more, and it still won't go in the dustpan. You try a new broom. You try a different angle. But it doesn't matter what you do. That little line of dirt is sitting right there laughing at you because you can't get it into the dustpan. Now, here's what I want to tell you, because most of you know this, because you've heard me say this before. That little line of dust that you can't get into the dustpan has a name. It's called frust. You say, frust, check it out, Google it, Wikipedia it, do whatever you got to do. You'll find it. Frust is a combination of the words dust and frustration. And I'll tell you this morning, somebody give me an amen. Frustration leads to weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. Am I right? When you can't get into the dustpan. But see, the more I thought about this, I realized that that's the way sin is in my life. That's the way sin is and the way that I deal with sin. It's the way that sin is in your life. We deal with it just like frust. We try all sorts of ways to sweep it up. We try all sorts of ways to clean it up, to get rid of it, even if it means that we just resort to sweeping that sin under the rug so nobody will find out about our sin. But no matter how you try to hide it, it's always there. But there's good news, and here it is. This is what you need to know going into the months and years that are in front of you. I mean, if you want those months and years that are in front of you to be different than what they have in the past, then you need to know this. Look, 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 look at the screen behind me. From the very moment that humanity fell into sin, it was God's plan, it was God's passion to redeem us and to restore us to the life for which we were made. That's what God wants to do in your life this morning. He wants to redeem and restore you. And let me tell you this morning, that act, that act of grace, that act of restoration that God wants to give you, that act of forgiveness that God wants to give you, you have to understand this morning, that is not something that can be forced on you. Like anything from God. You have to receive that as a gift, freely, willfully, intentionally. So how do we do that? 
How do we receive that gift that God wants to give us? Well, that's what I want to spend the rest of my time focusing on this morning. Because this morning, I want to look at the life of David, David and Goliath. You know who I'm talking about? Because if you know anything about the life of David, then you know that David is this guy from Scripture that has, like, this amazing resume. Because when we look at his life, we see that on on the spectrum of things accomplished, David accomplished a lot of things. I mean, his resume included great success, but it also included, included great failure. It also included devastating mistakes. Because many of you know, you, you know the story that David committed adultery. And in committing that adultery, as a result of that adultery, David committed murder in trying to cover that adultery up. But in the process of covering that up, that's when David was found out. And when he was found out, that's when David discovered the power and the purpose and the process of this thing called confession. In Psalm 32, David takes the time to write down this prayer of confession. And it's really a prayer of, that kind of related to his journey from confession to forgiveness. And I'm going to put it on the screen behind, you, behind me so that you can see it. But, but look, look at it with me as I read Psalm 32. And again, this is David's prayer, the, the prayer on that journey from confession to forgiveness. Here's what he says. He says, oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt, whose lives are lived in complete honesty. When I refused to confess my sin, look at what he says, my body wasted away and I groaned all day long. Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. But finally, I confessed all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord, and you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. Therefore, let all the godly pray to you while there is, oh, look at this. Let all the godly pray to you while there is still time, that they may not drown in the flood waters of judgment. For you are my hiding place. You protect me from trouble. You surround me with songs of victory. Here's the million-dollar question. The million-dollar question this morning is this. Why do we confess sin in the first place? Why do we do that? Well, David begins by saying confession is for us. It's for our sake. See, I think most of us have this understanding that when we confess our sin, we make the mistake of thinking that confession is for God's sake. Like our sin is annoying him. 
and then when we confess it, it's going to appease him. But David says, no, 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 no. Confession is for you. It's for you. I mean, verse 1 said, oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven. In other words, there's a blessing in confession for you. There's something in confession that God wants to give you. It isn't so much about God as confession is really about your life. I mean, again, think about all the blessings that David skipped over. He doesn't talk about the blessing of wealth or power or reputation. I mean, think wealth, blessings, I mean, wealth, reputation, and power. Those are things that you see people in this culture right now pursuing. But David doesn't mention anything about those things. Instead, David is saying, no, 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 no. You need to understand wealth and power and reputation, those things can't do anything for you. You think they can, but those things can't heal you. And David is saying that the way to find blessing in this life right now is in being forgiven. Because David understands that our problem, our fundamental problem in this life, listen, 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 listen. David understands our fundamental problem is a spiritual problem. Look at, look at this statement on the screen behind me. Confession isn't doing something about our sin. Rather, confession is admitting that we can't do anything about our sin. Confession is just admitting that you and I are sinners. And there's nothing in our human power where we can do anything about that. David writes in verse 3, he says, When I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away, and I groaned all day long. In other words, when, when I kept my sin hidden, when I kept my sin silent, when I wasn't talking about my sin, when I was keeping it a secret, on the inside, I felt like I was dying. I imagine most of us can relate to what David is saying in one way or another. Because all of us, you hear what I'm saying? All of us have something in our life that we're keeping hidden from other people. All of us have something in our life that we're ashamed of. Family problems compulsive habits, sexual addictions, chemical addictions. Let me, let me tell you this morning, the list goes on and on and on. And while in that moment, li listen, while in the moment silence feels like the best option, silence feels like the safest way to handle it, you have to understand Silence also leads to more pain and more guilt. 
and more festering inside. Listen to what I'm about to say. Silence corrodes away at your soul. Always. Silence corrodes away at your spirit. Always, 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 always. When we keep silent about things, you can guarantee that that silence is going to impact and affect other areas of your life. Now, I just want to stop here in in this message because naturally when we think about confession, you already think I'm talking about confessing the wrongs that you've committed. Confessing the wrong things that you've done. But here's the thing. I I also think there's an aspect of confession that we have to understand that most of you don't even think about when I talk about confession. I think sometimes we have to think about confession as it relates to the wrongs that have been done to us. Now think about that. The wrongs that have been committed against you. Because here's what I think. I think we have grown up, a lot of us in the church, in this service, I know a lot of you have. And we've kind of been taught that as a follower of Jesus, as a Christian, we're supposed to be beyond or above being hurt. I think that many times we, we have kind of been indoctrinated to the fact that we think, you know, it, it, it if we were a stronger Christian, then whatever was done to you, if you were just a stronger Christian, then whatever was done to you by other people or at the hands of other people, then it wouldn't hurt so much. And I know this morning, some of you have been hurt in very real and very deep ways. And knowing that you've been hurt that way, You've lived your life limping through life, pretending like the scars that, you've Im- that have been impacted or that have been inflicted on you, that they, that they really they don't exist. And you go through your life pretending that it doesn't hurt. And you'll say something like, well, that's, that, that was just in the past. Knowing that even right now, your life is still being impacted by what happened to you 10 years ago. So here's what I want you to see. I, I want to put this up on the screen again. Again, this is one of those things I've used before, one of those little sayings, one of those little kind of things I ask you to write down. But, but it's so important to us as followers of Jesus. You've got to understand your past isn't your past if you're still allowing your past to impact your future or the present. When your past is impacting your life today, the present, then what you do is you start to lie to people. You start to lie to the people you trust, the very people that love you. And you start to withdraw from people, the people who know you well. 
And you start to get easily frustrated and angry and judgmental at other people. All the while telling yourself the same thing over and over that nothing is wrong with you. I'm fine. Nothing is wrong with me. We keep saying that over and over and over until the time comes that we actually believe that nothing's wrong with us. We deceive ourselves. First, we deceive ourselves, and then we con convince ourselves that we are not deceiving ourselves. Because that's the way deception works. Deception flows in two different directions. Inward, as we try to convince others, uh, convince ourselves, and then outward as we try to convince others. I want you to hear what I'm about to say. Sin thrives on self-deception. And self-deception thrives on silence. Which is why you have to start confessing to God that you're not fine. That you're not okay. I'm not fine, God. My past hurts are causing me to act in a way that is not only pleasing to you, God, but it is destroying the person that you created me to be. And I think that's the very reason why we dare not miss the way that David closes out this prayer on confession. Because think about it. He doesn't end this prayer with despair. He doesn't end this prayer with discouragement, not with depression, not with self-doubt. But David prays a prayer about confession and forgiveness and he ends this prayer with joy. In verse 7, here's what he says. For you are my hiding place. You protect me from trouble. You surround me with songs of victory. Now think about that. Why would God surround you with songs of victory? I'll tell you why. God surrounds you with songs of victory because you've been forgiven. You've been set free. I mean, just think about it this morning. All the lies you told yesterday, forgiven. All the lustful acts that you committed last week, forgiven. Your self-seeking manipulation, forgiven. Your addiction, forgiven. Your hypocrisy, forgiven. All the guilt, all the shame, all the things that you've been carrying inside, maybe for years and years. Here's the thing God wants you to know this morning. Listen to me, Crossroads. You can be set free from all of those things. And it's interesting to me. Because in the Bible, throughout the Bible, there's a very common association 
between the forgiveness of sins and the healing of bodies. The idea of this connection is that for us to understand that there's this good God who cares about brokenness. Spiritual brokenness. Physical brokenness. Emotional brokenness. And he wants to heal you of that brokenness. That's the very reason, listen, listen, that's the very reason that when Jesus came, that healing was central to his mission. Now see, most of you think that that healing was something that Jesus did just to attract big crowds. But it was not something that Jesus did just to attract big crowds. But it was a sign that in Jesus, that God, listen, God's work to heal human brokenness, in Jesus it had started, it had begun. So we see all kinds of stories. In Matthew 8 and 9, we have one story of an, uh, uh, after another of healings. Lepers, paralytics, demon-possessed, blind, mute, sick woman, dead girl, a centurion servant. Jesus went along preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. And there's something interesting about that. Because in the midst of all of those stories where Jesus is healing sickness and diseases, listen to me this morning because that's where we find the calling of Matthew, the tax collector. And I think most people read about the calling of Matthew, and when they read that, they just read right over the calling of Matthew. But I think you have to realize that this story of the calling of Matthew is actually in this section of healing stories. It's there for a deliberate reason. Because most likely, look, look, look at me. Most likely, what Matthew was saying is that I got healed. In the midst of all the other healings that Jesus did on the, the leper, the centurion, I mean, on the, on the dead woman, on the child, I mean, in the midst of all of that, what Matthew was saying is, he's saying, I got healed myself. Matthew, I got healed, not so much in my body, but in my conscience. Because my conscience was weighed down with guilt over all the things that I had done. My soul was empty. My, my heart was sick. And Jesus changed that. I too, Matthew would say, am one of the people that Jesus healed. And see, this morning I want you to understand that God has come in the person of Jesus Christ to set you free. 
How does he do that? It's through the cross. Because see, this morning, on the, on, 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 I want you to understand that on the cross, the Son of God was stripped naked. And his arms were stretched out. Publicly humiliating him. And exposing him unbearably for the world to see. Because on the cross, he was exposed to all of my sin. All of your sin. Why? Why? So our sins could be covered. Think about it this way. The cross is the greatest cover-up scheme in human history. And the thing that I want you to know this morning is this. The cross can be your story. The freedom that is found in the cross can be your freedom. See, here's the thing I know right now. Many of you came into this auditorium this morning. Many of you are listening and watching online, and you feel like you are living your life right now with a cloud of doom hanging over you. And you limped online, or you limped into this building because you want a second chance. But you look at your life, and at the same time, you look at all the things that you've done, and you say, I don't deserve a second chance. listen to me this morning there's no story like the story of the cross there's no story like the story of redemption and today that story can be your story let the story of you be a story of redemption would you bow your heads this morning and pray with me please God, it's a powerful psalm that we find. A powerful prayer that David gives us. Talking about the importance of forgiveness and confession. See, God, we don't need to stand or to sit or to hide in silence the things that we've done. That we know are sin. But we just simply need to bring those things to you. Because confession is not for us. It's not for you. It's for us. If we don't confess those things, if we don't bring those things to you, we're going to do exactly what David talks about. We're going to groan in our bones and feel the pain of unconfessing those things in our bodies. So why wouldn't we just be honest and bring those things to you? knowing that you are faithful and true to forgive us because of the cross, the sacrifice that was made on the cross. Every head bowed, every eye closed. We're going to sing this song in just a moment. And maybe right where you're seated, maybe right where you'll be standing, you just need to get on your face there, and you just need to ask God to forgive you. Confess that sin that's been a part of your life. 
Maybe as we sing this song, you just need to get up and come to the foot of these steps asking God to forgive you. You do what works for you. But understand the power of confession and forgiveness. Knowing that when you confess, that you will be surrounded with songs of victory. God, we love you and we ask you to do by your spirit what only you can. As we ask this prayer in Jesus' name, amen. Stand together.